Welcome to today's episode of Ownership Matters, a podcast for homeowners and resident-owned communities, brought to you by Rock USA. I'm Mike Bullard. And I'm Paul Bradley. And this is our year-end look back at 2021 and a little look ahead toward 2022. Overall, we are so excited about the work that has been accomplished by thousands of people across our network in 2021, and we're super excited about 2022 and what's to come. Sure, and Mike, I have to start with really just welcoming the 21 new resident-owned communities that joined the network in the past year. New states for Rock USA, California and Missouri. We have our first resident-owned communities in Mendocino County and in Liberty, Missouri. Welcome our Californian and Missourian friends. And they joined some other new co-ops that came on in Washington and Oregon, Colorado, Minnesota, Massachusetts, New Hampshire, and Vermont. So uh, really across the country, 21 new rocks, just over 1,600 homeowners that joined the network in the past year. And so welcome, everybody. You know, uh, one of the remarkable things of 2021, I just was reading, Mike, the other day, Pricing for manufactured home communities up 24% in the last 12 months. And get this, since the pandemic started, prices of communities are up 36%. It just goes to show you, you know, those communities that purchased back in 2019, imagine, are on average worth, uh, you know, a third more after just uh, two years of ownership. Really incredible. Just shows you the demand for these communities and what's going on in terms of consolidation of these communities. They got in while the getting was good, for sure, right before this enormous spike. And you've said recently, what, 200,000 additional sites have been consolidated in that time frame? Yeah. And I probably should explain that term as we use it internally a lot. But, you know, uh, the largest companies in the manufactured housing business, you know, some of them are real estate investment trusts that are traded on the stock exchange, but many of them are private companies, uh, even some hedge funds and private equity firms too these days that have been buying up uh, more and more communities. So three years ago, about 600,000 of the roughly 2.7 million home sites in communities had been purchased by the largest players. Today, three years later, some 800,000, almost a third of all home sites are now owned by large corporate owners. So when I say consolidated, and it's really large corporate owners that are buying up properties, and uh, the pace has been dizzying, and it's driven up prices substantially. And so these co-ops that are purchasing, these are folks that are making decision about resident ownership and and in some cases, raising their rents pretty significantly to be become buyers and owners and gain security. But uh, we're seeing it continually, high percentages of homeowners voting in favor of resident ownership because they see what's going on just in the communities there locally. That's astounding. 800,000 homes. I mean, imagine the size of a city that has 800,000 homes. And if that's got to be a couple, two, two and a half million people that would be owned by private owners that that when you think of it in those terms, it's unimaginable. That said, there have been some really cool things going on in co-ops this year, 2021. In Park Plaza, 
which is in Fridley, Minnesota, they, following on the successful construction of their new community center slash storm shelter, they have partnered with Libraries Without Borders to install some really terrific services and other features for members of that co-op. So this is not just a gathering place for emergencies, but it's becoming a real gathering place uh, for the community day in and day out. And and that's really inspiring. And we're hoping to carry that through uh, to some other co-ops in the near future. Speaking of building, our friends down at uh, Cranberry Village kicked off a $3 million water system project this year. And wonderful, wonderful community and a big, important project, all new water lines in a large community, 200 plus homes there. But in with all of that going on, they also showed the generosity to a fellow co-op not too far from them in Halifax that had suffered some damage due to a windstorm. And and that was really inspiring. You know, they, they sent flowers and a check for $3,600 that uh, was intended to help their uh, co-op friends deal with the impacts of a significant storm. That was really inspiring. It sure was. And, and that's one of the principles, right, of, uh, of international principles of cooperatives is uh, co-ops helping other co-ops, principle six. And that's not the only instance we saw of it this year. There are two others that come to mind right away. Earlier in the year, in, the, in that historic deep freeze in Texas, we had members of co-ops and co-ops themselves pitching in to help out with the recovery efforts down there at uh, Pasadena Trails and Arnold, uh, the two co-ops in Texas, as they were dealing with frozen water lines and, and issues like that that arose following record cold in a place that is not used to serious cold weather. And more recently at San Susi, fairly new cooperative in Boulder, Colorado, as everyone I'm sure has seen on the news recently, they had unprecedented wind and wildfires in that area. And while thankfully San Susi was spared the fires, there was significant wind damage there with a few homes that are looking to be seriously, if not catastrophically damaged. And right away, there's a GoFundMe campaign that has gone up to help folks recover there. There's, there's a serious need. And uh, we'll put the link to that in the show notes for sure. Definitely. And of course, wonderful things happening in each of the 20 states with resident-owned communities. Now, 287 co-ops in the network, and you know there are community members and leaders working in each of those to bring about community at the end of the day. I just have to give a shout out here. We're in a, the second year of the pandemic. A shout out to all the community leaders and members that worked creatively to keep community engagement alive, uh, really support one another through what was a very challenging year. You know, some glimpses of return to normal, but then some tough times at various times and in various parts of the country. So uh, really hats off to some really creative work and success. Strong year for co-op performance. And uh, that can't be understated. You know, we would be remiss not to Talk a little bit here about the Rock Association and the work they're doing. And, you know, first off, hats off to uh, Kim Capen, who has served as a director for the New England region for years now and is term limited. So the election to choose his successor is ongoing right now in all six New England states. But Kim's volunteer service to both his own cooperative, to Rock and H, the TA provider that works with his Medville cooperative, and frankly, the entire Rock movement on the Rock Association uh, Board of Directors, was recently 
recognized with a Spirit of New Hampshire Award for volunteerism, which was some nice recognition for for all the hard work Kim has done. Kim has uh, really set the standard uh, for Rock Association directors in a couple of ways, one of which is he's frequently called upon to talk to communities who are considering a resident purchase, and he'll join either uh, in person during normal times or on Zoom during in the pandemic here and just talk about his experience. It's not a hard sell, but he just touts the benefits of, of resident ownership and having lived in a community that's been a rock for oh, about 10 years now. But I've been with him a couple of times at these in-person events, and, and it's really great to just see him talking about resident ownership because, you know, frankly, you and I, Paul, can talk to homeowners about the benefits of resident ownership and why it's a good decision or why we think it's a good decision. But honestly, when you see folks hearing this from someone who's living it day in and day out, I think it's a thousand percent more convincing, right? Yeah, really. And Kim and the other association directors, Marjorie and Lori, and the full outreach and education committee of, of Rock Association, led by Carol and Bobby, have been doing an extraordinary amount of of online presentations. In fact, there's a link on our website uh, for co-op leaders if you'd like anyone from the Outreach and Education Committee to present at a co-op meeting. You can fill out that form and they can join a membership meeting or a board meeting and uh, you know share their insights to whatever issue you might be addressing or simply talk more generally about what's going on within Rock Association and uh, the national movement. And I have to say, Kim has also contributed. I know that was one thing you noted, Mike, and I don't know what your second one was, but what, what came to mind when you said that was Kim has been very articulate around the issue of language. And I'll quote him, uh, paraphrase him anyways, and saying, uh, we don't live in parks. Squirrels live in parks. Uh, we live in communities. You know, been very clear about what the importance of language is to the movement. And Kim's not going away. I love that he's going to continue to work with a group of communities around member engagement. And really, uh, his view is that communication within the community is absolutely vital to member engagement. And uh, he he wants to work with other co-op leaders to practice some of that in some new places and support community engagement in some other co-ops. So that's great. His service goes on and on, and it's wonderful service. I would say if you want to hear Kim Capen speak directly, uh, he was on episode 10 of Ownership Matters back in August, and Bobby and Carol also joined us for an episode, and that was back in September, the end of September. So uh, tune in if you'd like to hear from them directly. Yeah, definitely. That's the point of Ownership Matters, to bring co-op leaders uh, to the podcast and share their uh, insights. So perfect. The other part of Rock Association that's been incredibly busy in 2021 is the Policy and Advocacy Committee. Now, TV Dodd-Seefeld is the chair and Bill Hodgkins, the secretary of that committee. And some folks will have received outreach from Rock USA and the committee, including network TA providers around the Build Back Better bill. Very exciting. The work of this group had success in getting a $500 million rock infrastructure grant program into that bill. There's also a couple of other elements of Build Back Better that could uh, support resident ownership. And uh, the advocacy continues. As most people know here in January of 22, that piece of legislation has not passed. 
but it's not beyond possible. So uh, we'll also put a link to that information on our website, but know that the Policy and Advocacy Committee have been very attuned to that piece of legislation and supporting that through the House and now into the Senate. And uh, we have great support and we have bipartisan support. Uh, This is not, this is infrastructure, this is water and sewer, but also storm shelters and community centers, even solar projects built into the funding opportunity here. Really transformative kind of financing for uh, resident-owned communities. Super excited about it. We could go on and on about all the great things happening in co-ops, but I also want to touch a little bit on what's going on in Rock USA Network. Folks know that Rock USA is partnered with nonprofit affiliates in many states across the country. This is a group of highly dedicated experts who support resident ownership literally in communities because they're close by in most cases. So uh, I got to give a shout out to the Northwest Co-op Development Center, the Rock Northwest team. Mike, uh, most people don't realize, I think, on expert assistance side of this, that sometimes this work comes in big lumps. And that was true in June. That team, and it's a small team, uh, supported three co-op conversions over a three-week period, three closings. And that represents an enormous amount of work. It represents a lot of work for the co-op boards, absolutely, but also for that technical assistance team. And and the the Rock Northwest team, I hope, uh, took a lot of time off in in July. But uh, what an amazing accomplishment, three co-op conversions in closings in three weeks, really something. And Mike, Colorado is another state where something remarkable happened this summer. Some people might know that uh, Colorado passed opportunity to purchase legislation in June of 2020. This is the legislation that uh, six states across the country have passed so that homeowners and communities have an opportunity to purchase the community when it goes up for sale. And what's interesting here is Two communities in Boulder and Durango, two very hot housing markets, were put up for sale, but they were put up for sale in a portfolio of communities. Some 95 communities sold in one fell swoop. But the reason why these homeowners had an opportunity was because the Colorado legislature passed opportunity to purchase, as I said. So really quite impressive. Uh, You mentioned San Susi, who's who's suffered from some wind and freezing damage here just recently. But uh, the folks at San Susi and the folks at Animus View both rallied and purchased their community under very tight communities, under very tight timeframes. And just fantastic. Only provided that opportunity because of that opportunity to purchase legislation. The communities in other states and even others in Colorado, you know, simply were sold to a new investment group. But congratulations to uh, really setting the stage out there in Colorado, our friends in Durango and Boulder. And it relates, actually, as they have themselves reflected, that law was passed because, in a large measure, of a very large community closure in Aurora, Colorado, a few years back. And it's what Denver Meadows. And it's what prompted the legislature to act is, you know, this displacement of a large number of homeowners. There's a film that's been 
a documentary that's been done on that called A Decent Home that hopefully will become widely available in 2022. But it's showing at film festivals as we speak. But it's great. You know, the folks at Animus View in particular recognized publicly that they really stood on the shoulders of the very hard work that the folks at Denver Meadows had done to raise the profile of just what it means and the risks of owning a home on rented land. And the public sector, the legislature wanted to do something about that. And these folks fortunately capitalized and got control of their communities before any type of real risk of closure was was uh, put upon them. So really terrific. Uh, and congratulations to both Sansusi and Animus View. And Paul, that reminds me of another big win we had uh, in 2021, and that was some nationwide coverage on National Public Radio that focused on some communities that were that were going through the resident purchase and also some that were not able to. And I wrote this down so that I can read it because I didn't want to not do it justice by paraphrasing, but the reporter on that story, whose name is Chris Arnold, was talking to a resident leader in Massachusetts named Charlie Smith. In this community, of course, there is, or in Massachusetts, rather, there is opportunity to purchase legislation. And so when this community got the notice that their community was being sold, they, in fact, were able to rally and purchase it themselves and become a rock. This is Brookside uh, in Plainville, Massachusetts. But what Chris described their situation as, as opposed to some other communities he reported on that didn't have that opportunity, he says, but if you live in these states, then a band of a couple dozen retirees can take on a billion-dollar corporation or any other investor and buy the park out. They can turn it into a resident-owned co-op. And he says this felt revolutionary to Charlie who is the community member there. And he says a bunch of park residents got together in like a church basement and he floated this idea to them that they should try to buy this park for themselves. And he goes on to talk about how that was, you know, it's not an easy process necessarily. It required work from everybody, but in the end, how worthwhile it was. And, you know, they revisited a year after their purchase at where they were celebrating their own Independence Day for becoming a resident of the community, which is just remarkable. I love the revolutionary tone to that story. Fabulous. This work really does capture people's passion, you know, both at the community level, you know, you see community leaders really lean in and see this as, as important legacy work for their, for the current membership at communities. But I often hear co-op leaders talking about how this will serve future generations, you know, their hard work of acquiring the community and especially that first year or two, which are definitely the most challenging, that this will serve generations of folks. That transition, Paul, is, is not just necessarily for the residents of a community or their generations to come there, but it's also on some of the residents themselves. And and we've seen evidence of some of the way that uh, resident ownership has impacted a couple of people in particular who come to mind. One is Gail Parrish, who was a resident in a community that became a co-op, and that inspired her to become a TA provider for Casa of Oregon. She's retiring, or has retired recently, but I spent some time with her at Colorado Lake Co-op and just talking to the people that she works with and lives with, uh, in some cases, it, it was remarkable how that had changed her life. And not only that, but she bought a home there and she was totally renovating and gutting it. And, you know, this was going to be her retirement home. And I'm assuming she's living there now. 
You know, second would be uh, Colleen Preston. I met Colleen very early on in my time at Rock USA. She had uh, recently retired, sold her business and retired, downsized into Cranberry Village, which was a large, as you said earlier, manufactured home community in Carver, Mass. And she, I remember her saying she was ready for the rocking chair. She was looking forward to just slowing down and enjoying some retirement. And not long after she moved in, of course, she found out her community was for sale. And, you know, long story short, it became a co-op and that inspired her to become a leader. And she was the president of her cooperative. She led a strong community there. And then that, that didn't stop her journey in resident ownership, right? I mean, she moved on to become one of the first elected Rock Association directors uh, in the New England region. And, and, and you know, at that point, she was working nationally on behalf of resident ownership. And that too wasn't the end. That took her to a new spot where she became like Gail, a TA provider, this time for the Cooperative Development Institute, which works throughout New England. And she's retiring as well. So she has had, uh, this was her second or third career, I think, and, and totally inspired by, by being in a community that faced a big decision and became a rock. And Colleen has been a spokesperson, you know, for years here at gatherings, at events. She did a series of short videos for the AARP Foundation a few years ago, expounding on the benefits of resident ownership and how it's affected her. It's really remarkable. Two very special women, Gail and Colleen, and I have long valued bringing co-op leaders on staff and uh, as a part of the technical assistance teams. We have a, an employee of Rock USA from a co-op that is on our administrative services team. So always they bring special insight and great credibility to how they do the work here and in the field. And so we're not going to lose touch with Gail and Colleen. We don't lose touch with anyone. So, uh, but uh, congratulations both Gail and Colleen on on wonderful careers. And thank you for all done for resident ownership. And while saying that too, I, I think of our longtime colleague in Montana, Mary Lou Affleck, who retired as well this past year. Mary Lou had a very long career at USDA. She really fell in love with the resident ownership works, worked with several communities. My favorite project that Mary Lou led up, aside from supporting several co-ops like CNC Co-op and Billings, was working with Family Promise, who rehabbed three homes at CNC Co-op and helped formerly homeless families buy those homes. And Family Promise supports those families to make sure they're successful homeowners. I recall, this was a few years back, but I believe one of those new homeowners immediately joined the board of directors at CNC, you know, just loved the engagement. And I remember talking to the family promise director too. And she said, you know, they place homeowners in a variety of neighborhoods and never had she seen the level of community support for homeowners moving into their new homes uh, that they experienced at CNC resident owned community. And that's just reflective of Mary Lou's deep commitment and really ability to partner with a wide range of organizations and accomplish terrific things for Montanans. And so Mary Lou, we hope you're enjoying your retirement. You deserve it. Well, Mike, I wanted to jump in and share a little bit about what's going on at Rock USA Capital with our listeners too. We don't often talk about our community development financial institution, but the only reason we're able to provide financing to resident-owned communities is frankly because you know, banks and foundations lend 
us money uh, that we can turn around and lend out. And so this past year, we had great financial support from a variety of lenders. I may risk missing somebody here, but uh, I'll take a shot at it nonetheless. So we had lenders from the charitable foundation space, uh, Sandy River Charitable Foundation and uh, Colorado Health Foundation, both lending to Rock USA. We had impact investors. That's a new term, I suspect, for a lot of people, but a group called C-Note. Um, and then we had some bank lenders, Cambridge Savings Bank and Bank of America and TD Bank and NBT Bank, which is a New England regional bank, all helping us you know, raise the capital that we could in turn lend out to community groups. For what was a very big year for Rock USA Capital, around $68 million loaned, including you know additional construction financing, like for the water system I mentioned at Cranberry Village and some refinances. So a very big year and a very lumpy year. June, as I indicated earlier, was busy at Northwest CDC, but also for Rock USA Capital, as was December. And that puts a lot of pressure on the team to make all that work and reach deadlines. So big shout out to everybody on the Rock USA Capital team, but also in, in Rock USA Network and in the rest of Rock USA. Not without its challenges, but a great and successful year. Paul, you just dropped a whole lot of news about Rock USA Capital. And we've had a lot of, of wins publicly this year, uh, both inside the network and, and externally. But there's a lot that you've been working on to change the look and feel of Rock USA internally. And, and I don't think we have publicized too much of this yet. And I was wondering, how about sharing a little bit about what's going on there now? Yes, thank you, Mike. I have been working diligently on some reorganization in order to really prepare the organization for this next stage of growth. You know, we are, have a functionally been the same for the last 13 years. And and there's, you know, there's needs to grow into this and serve communities better. So first and foremost, we're making a significant investment in our first strategic priority, which is supporting the Rock Association and supporting Rock leaders as movement leaders. You know, the board and many of us involved recognize that it's really Rock leaders that are the most persuasive. You've brought it up a number of times today, but I've seen it in the public policy area. I've seen it across the board, whether it's new communities, existing communities. The more that co-op leaders can engage with each other and with the outside, outside world, the stronger the whole network becomes, the stronger each community becomes, the stronger the network of communities becomes. And so we are bringing more resources and more leadership in support of the association. And I could not be more excited. This organization stands shoulder to shoulder with the communities we serve. And the way we ensure that happens now and in the future is to ensure that co-op leaders are actively involved in Rock USA at the governance and strategy level, but even operationally involved. So that to me is one of the principal objectives of this organizational reset. The other big investment is in online education. Uh, we've built an entire team of people who actually have done online training and education at the university level. They're coming on, they've come on, we've built the team, and beginning in the spring of 2022, we'll begin offering online training 
Uh, we've done some at the Leadership Institute already, but that's none of it has been done within a learning management system. We're just now adopting that and super excited where we can go with online education. We have got to provide leadership development opportunities across all the communities so that co-op leaders have access to training, but also access to each other in a peer-to-peer -peer network. So those two work hand in hand and are critically important. The other piece of exciting news is Rock USA is now serving communities from coast to coast. We've developed a national team called Rock USA Direct to provide development services to communities regardless of where they are. Now, it's a national team and obviously we can't serve every community in all 29 states that uh, would uh, be served by this team and certainly not immediately. But we were in Missouri in 2021. We're in Pennsylvania in 2022. And that team will take on larger projects, but uh, projects in support of homeowners in uh, multiple states and will continue to build and develop. And it's really an, an entree to a local nonprofit that will step in and build, take over that uh, set of communities. But the Rock USA team will serve those communities in the early term help them take advantage of the opportunity because most of these communities only get one shot to purchase their community and we need to be there when the opportunity arises. So three pretty significant elements of that, but there are more. I am just super excited about 2022. I cannot wait to really dig in. Here it is the first week, but uh, I cannot wait to really dig in and, and uh, I'm super excited about the new team that's come together to, to help drive this forward. That's awesome stuff that's coming. And I can tell you, I'm particularly excited about uh, point number three for selfish reasons, because historically I have been the person at Rock USA who gets emails from people in communities uh, in states that we don't serve or we didn't serve and their communities were up for sale and they were looking for help. And, and I had to say, uh, I'm sorry, we're just not working in you name the state yet. And this means there's a good chance we won't have to say that. Yes, we are available to work in this state. Let me have you talk to people at Rock USA Direct Team and let's see what we can do. That's right, Mike. There's going to be opportunities to respond. It makes us much more agile. There will still be some tough news that we can't be in all places for everyone. We're still a small organization. Remarkably, we're still just 21 people, but we're, we are growing and growing and expanding and building a team that can be more responsive in more states. And that's super exciting for sure. And speaking of growing and expanding, Paul, I think we'd be remiss if we didn't give ourselves just a little pat on the back for the Ownership Matters podcast. You, Sammy Chickering and I have, and mostly Sammy Chickering, frankly, have put in a ton of hours on this and the results are really pretty good. I'm, I'm very pleased with it. You know, our, in terms of audience, our, our podcast has been downloaded almost 2,000 times since the first episode went live at the end of April. In case you're curious, the two most downloaded episodes are with Julie Eads, who took us through the history of the movement from start to finish based on her time at the New Hampshire Community Loan Fund. 
And number two was Tom Powers at Clackamas River Community Co-op, who told us not only about some of the really cool things going on there, like taking care of the embankment, uh, the steep embankment, rather, along the creek that runs through their community, uh, fish habitat restoration, all kinds of cool things there, but also could talk about uh, you know being in a community that was highly sought after by one of those large and powerful and deep-pocketed competing buyers you were talking about earlier, Paul, and having a neighboring community that is not a co-op and just seeing the difference in the several years of resident ownership on what's going on there in terms of amenities and rent. It was really painted a stark picture that I think is worth revisiting for folks. And it's been a lot of fun. I've really enjoyed doing Ownership Matters with you and uh, telling these stories and really importantly, getting the voices of co-op leaders and the folks in circle co-ops to come in and talk about their experience. For sure. I mean, we've had some big names join the podcast uh, from this sector. George Allen, of course, is the virtual historian of the manufactured housing sector. Esther Sullivan, who is a sociologist who has written a, a powerful book about the impact of community closure after spending some time living in a couple of communities that were in that process. And uh, Rana Faruhar, worldwide journalist who you've probably seen on CNN, who wrote a couple of pieces about what's going on in our sector in the Financial Times, and her insights were, were particularly interesting. You know, but we've also had some really terrific stories from rock leaders, as you said, right? You know, the ones that, that had come to mind right off the top of my head were talking with Dennis at Marilla Country Village in New York about that tremendous snowstorm they had right there uh, on the shores of Lake Erie and the National Guard coming in to help deliver medicine and get snow off of roofs. It was it was incredible. You know, Brenda at Cranberry Village in Massachusetts talking about their major uh, infrastructure overhaul and, and just what a difference it's going to make in the in the sort of security and comfort in people who don't have to worry about that kind of stuff anymore. And I think finally, our what could be called our follies reel, right? The interview that we tried to do with community leaders at Pasadena Trails outside Houston, and we tried to conduct that episode in Spanish, and we failed miserably, not because, of course, of the guests, but because of the hosts and our <laughs> inability to converse in another language effectively. Thankfully, we called in some outside expertise to help on that, and uh invited a bilingual co-host to join. And in the end, that was a tremendous success too. And it brings to mind an interview that we started with the late Chuck Snyder, who's the former CEO of the National Cooperative Bank. Mike, Sammy, and I worked with Chuck over the summer to uh, record a, a podcast. And we had a technical glitch, had an internet glitch. After a very short part of the conversation. And sadly, the cooperative world and Chuck's family and all of us lost Chuck this fall to a, a sudden heart attack. And our hearts are saddened greatly by his loss. The co-op sector lost a, a great, great champion, a great man. And we're going to play as a part of the close of the podcast today that start of that podcast with Chuck. And you will hear how he came into the co-op sector and why it captured him and his passion. And you will respect that this is a man of great talent. He rose to be the CEO of the National Co-op Bank, as I said, which was a multi, is a multi-billion dollar bank. But where he started and his first loan uh, the story he tells 
will tell you everything you need to know about Chuck. And we miss him and we thank him. And with that, I also want to say thank you to everyone in the rock world for a great 2021. And uh, here's to 2022. And Mike and Sammy, a special thank you to you two for our Ownership Matters podcast crew. It's been a lot of fun and um, looking forward to many more episodes with you. And the very first loan that I made was to a single mom in Washington, D.C., who had some family issues, and she was either leaving or was in the process of getting kicked out of out of the family home, and she needed two hundred and fifty dollars to uh, for a rent deposit, and that's how long ago uh, it was. But uh, she needed two hundred fifty dollars, and uh, I called up her counselor, and she was a, a great employee, good character, and. Uh, I spoke to the lady. I liked her a lot, and I called up the counselor. I said, "Well, I'm going to go ahead and make this loan, and uh, just make sure that uh, she is uh, employed here the next six months so she can repay the credit union." And I thought it was a simple business transaction, but I soon found out that it was not. This single mom came into the credit union pretty much every week and thanked me for the loan and allowed her to move into. Uh, her apartment, uh, gain some independence and gain a home for, for her and her children. And, you know, I thought to myself, gee, you know, this is, uh, this is great. I made a significant impact on someone's, uh, life by uh, reaching out and understanding the person's uh, situation. Uh, and that happened through uh, cooperation, people helping people. And I became hooked and I thought, you know, Yes, I can make money uh, working in cooperatives, but uh, yes, I can have a significant impact on people's lives. And at the end of the day, that is more important. And that's the reason why I'm a strong believer in cooperation.